This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, the fuckwits are out at the US Open. The boomers are out of the World Cup, but is it all bad? Some really good cricket out of India. And speaking of cricket, some Olympic history you might not be aware of. Oh, great history it is. We managed to cover a lot this week, Stewie. And AFL. Oh, that's great. It's 8.25 on Wednesday, the 6th of September, 2023. It just ticked over. We you, nearly you, had it. You're chuckling. <laughs> you timed it well this week. Uh, and cricket might be back at the 2028 Olympics, but we'll know that for sure on Friday, and I think you might have a little bit about that too. So maybe we'll get there soon. I have a story that I dare say not many people will have heard of. Okay. Well, we've got a lot of juicy, interesting stuff this week, and I don't know if we'll get through it all. We might have to save some too. We'll see how we go. Blair Cutliffe is our special guest this week. No, only joking. That's do you know who that is? No, I've got no idea. Oh, that's the fake Twitter account of the disgraced referee that uh, oh. Eric. What's his name? <laughs> Eric, whatever his name is. I only took note of his is it, what's Twitter it, handle and Lewis, the uh, the one that was a Celtics fan that retired. Yeah, that sounds right. Let's go. Something with that. Like that anyway. Let's go over that. Yeah. Anyway, as always, thanks very much to those who have liked and subscribed, and please check the timestamps. But first, well, given the NFL kicks off in less than forty-eight hours. Let's call it kicking off this week. These have really confused me in recent weeks, that's because I, I never have anything relating to the sport that you choose. No, it doesn't matter. It's just so it's just so opening bounce doesn't win the day every time because we talk about different sports. So it doesn't have to be about the sport you're talking about. I have a bit of NFL. We need to find some really, really obscure sports. Yes, we do. We should make a list. We, we should. We've got a long flight to Sydney in about a month's time. We can uh, probably have a bit of a brainstorming session then. I mean, I dare say I've got an even longer flight to Brisbane. You do, week. but you won't be able to brainstorm with me. But yes, you can brainstorm on your own. I can brainstorm with the random person next to me. You could. You who could. won't actually be random. It'll be yeah. work, mate. But anyway. As long as they don't have what that person had on that uh, Delta flight. Oh, we won't oh. go there. All right. Go. What have you got? Sea of tranquility. Yes. Now, look, I, I want to kind of start off, unfortunately, with a bit of a one of those. Okay. The US Open. Yes. Gee whiz. Honestly, what did I say last week about those US Open fans being the worst, the absolute worst of the worst? But also the best when it comes to that little kid chugging the water. Very, very true. Yes. That was pretty funny. They, they kind of have that either end of the spectrum going. And unfortunately... There was some dickhead in the last 24 hours in the crowd singing Deutschland über alles, which is basically an old Hitler anthem. And it's unfortunately kind of overshadowed what's happening there. Alex Sparrow had a really good win over Yannick Sinner, but I guess that's what everyone's talking about now. And look, I mean, to be honest, the whole tournament kind of feels like in the men's, it's a bit of a cakewalk towards this whole Djokovic Alcaraz rematch. But it's such a shame that all the great tennis out there is overshadowed by that sort of thing. Yeah, we don't yeah, we don't want to see it. We just don't need it. And it takes the lady making bee noises behind Sitsipas to a whole new level, doesn't it? That was bad enough. <laughs> it was. And given it was Sitsipas, she probably should have been making pee noises. Uh, <laughs> Couldn't help it. Well, well flushing noises. Yeah, well, they are at flushing meadows. Exactly. So yeah. no, it, it's very, very disappointing. And yeah, as I said, the men's draw kind of does look like a not a fait accompli because it's not quite at that stage yet. Medvedev, the three seed, still in there. But I guess on Djokovic's side, it's not really looking like there's going to be much of a challenge up to the final. Uh, ben Shelton, who is this unseated American who's having an absolute dream. Yeah, the phenom, there. yeah. Yeah, look, there's, there always seems to be a phenom and they always seem to run into Djokovic and <laughs> get pants. So, look, well, it's often on the women's side too. You don't see the men phenoms as often, I think, go as far, but... It's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. as I say, on the top side, look, it's still the 1, 3, 8 and 12 seeds. So there's still very good quality players at the top side. The women's is looking very much like what I predicted. Coco Gauff doing incredibly well. And Swiatek gone. Yeah, well, she was gone not long after we recorded last. I think maybe it might have even been the same night that we... Yeah, might have been. Might have been. Recorded. So, yeah, it's it's looking again the top half of the draw... Coco Golf, probably the favorite. Carolina Muchova of the Czech Republic, still a very good player. The other side, it's kind of looking a little bit like uh, Arena Sabalenka, the two seed, should get through. And then I guess the probably the most interesting one, Marquita Vondrasova, the nine seed, and Madison Keys. Oh, yeah. Madison Keys just having a renaissance. Just, uh, local, though. The she, local players often step up, yeah, much she, like Shelton at the she, other end of the gym. Seems to bob up every, I don't know, every summer. Every few years. Yeah. So, look, it's nice to see. And I mean, look, a golf Keys final would be incredible. Two African American ladies. Oh, yeah. That'd be massive in the States. It yeah. would just be absolutely amazing, as you say. Yeah. So, we'll see how that all goes. But yeah, I guess just circling back to the initial point. 
I don't get why these fans can't just be respectful. There needs to be a zero tolerance for this sort of thing. Like, just sit there, applaud, obviously, if there's something great. If there's not, be chilled, all right? Just be chilled. Mm. Now, the other thing I wanted to very quickly talk about, Nath, have you seen the videos of these eight-and-a-half-foot dunk leagues going around in America? I can't say I have, if I'm honest. We've talked about it, but I still haven't had a chance to watch any videos. Yes, well, we just paused to watch, and I've seen 30 seconds. I don't really need to see anything more. Okay. I've seen more impressive dunks on a 10-foot rim by professionals. Yeah, I want to like it, and I I kind of feel a little bit like I love and hate the idea. I kind of hate it because I feel like at that height, I still couldn't dunk. Uh, Well, we used to set my ring. Well, I think it was eight rather than eight foot five. Yeah. I was half that size. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. We were like 12. Yeah, exactly. But getting all this extra weight up that height, it's (laughs) not as easy as it it once was. Uh, It just seems a bit middle-aged sad to me, I guess. Yes, that and the trampoline, I could not give two shits, really. Oh, the slam ball? Yeah. See, I enjoyed that because there was a bit of shirt fronting and oh, yeah, okay. a bit of violence in okay. that. So I've got enough sport in my life to not watch that, to no, be honest. But yeah. I mean, I can understand why basketball crazy. And if they don't like any other sport, then they're probably watching more three-on-three three and all sorts of other stuff. But I just don't have time in my schedule for yeah. No, that is absolutely fair enough. I feel some baseball, I believe. I do. Well, I've got a whole bunch of things. I'll jump around a little bit. I'll start with some useless stats. So the New York Yankees are 69 and 69 for the first time since... 1969. However, that record does have them at the bottom of the AL East. The Orioles still reside at the top after we talked about them last week. And, well, the Yankees record, it's not spectacular, but it's better than the woeful Oakland Athletics who have the worst record in the league at 42 and 97. We also spoke about them last week too. Bang, bang. Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens in the NFL had their 24-game preseason winning streak broken when the Washington Commanders beat them 29-28. They hadn't lost a preseason game since 2015. Season's over. (laughs) I mean, look, of all preseasons, the NFL preseason is probably one of the least ones to care about. A lot of teams are culling their rosters, a lot of guys that will never even see the light of day in in the NFL. But uh, what a weird streak. That's quite an interesting one. It is a really interesting one. And it's funny that you say that the NFL preseason is the least important of all of the major sports when the Pro Bowl is probably the least important of well, yes, yeah, all yeah. of the All-Star games, really, as shit as most of them are. And when I say importance, importance from a spectator point of view, but obviously for coaching staff and whatnot, it's actually incredibly important. Yeah. But yeah, for, for a spectator, it's not necessarily something. While I'm talking about NFL, I don't have this on my notes, but Aaron Sipos was cut and he uh, was a good punter for the Philadelphia Eagles until the Super Bowl when that mm. uh, record punt return happened and... I dare say that's kind of probably uh, cooked his goose. Isn't that crazy? Kick to the wrong guy once. Yeah, I know. I know. And this is after he did that. Remember he did that massive one-arm pickup? That yeah. Was, yeah, like well, former footy player. So it wasn't all that but surprising to him, still, but they lost their minds in the States over that one. like one mistake and that's your entire career gone. That's nuts. The Bleacher Report posted recently that the mum of Duke quarterback Riley Leonard texts him, you suck before every game to, quote, keep his ego in check. I'll try that with my daughters. <laughs> Off to school, hey? You suck. You're moderately illiterate. Well, with the Oz kick, you know. You can't do basic arithmetic. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, well, their excuse is that they're young. I, I don't know what mine is for basic arithmetic. Uh, Barstool Sports recently posted that the Nebraska Cornhuskers have 25 one-score losses and 16 second-half blown leads in their last five seasons. That's a choke special waiting to happen. We haven't done one of them in a while. It would be if I knew what the hell that sport was. Oh, that's in the in the college football. Sorry, ah, that's right. the, to the name of their team, the right. Corn Huskers. Yeah, okay. yeah. Sorry, I'm, college football. I'm not across college football at all. So. No, sorry, I, I should have been a bit clearer there. Speaking of Nebraska, their women's volleyball team has broken the record for attendance at a women's sport when 92,003 people turned out for their victory over Omaha. That was fucking incredible. Sure was, wasn't it? It was just magnificent. It, it was. I mean, look as if. Oh, I don't, I'm gonna I'm gonna sound uh what's the word gross here, but women's volleyball is amazing to watch. <laughs> it's amazing to watch just based on skill. Oh yeah, you can put you him. Know, you can need put to him make in, it gross. You can put him in overcoats, but obviously. Speaking of women's sport, there's new rankings in the soccer. The top three is now Sweden, Spain, and the USA in that order. So I did speculate as to whether the USA would start to fall, and indeed they have. Just always seems crazy that the team that won the World Cup. 
Yeah, well, it's more than just one match. Though, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously. Yeah. But it's like... And I don't know where Spain was prior to that. They might have jumped a number of spots. They're the world champions. Yeah, I know. I know. The legitimate world champions. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes. Goodness yes. me. Yeah, don't give them an NBA trophy. No. Nah. Now, I've got some other notes here in response to your next story. So I'll throw it back to you, Stuart. Yeah, we've got a little bit of cricket to talk about, but I did want to kind of mention something really cool that I've seen a lot of on these YouTube shorts. I've been watching quite a lot of the Indian wheelchair cricket, and I have to say, I highly recommend seeking some of this out. It's brilliant. A ton of great catches, incredible fielding, and I tell you what, they can hit a long ball considering they don't have the luxury of dancing down the pitch. Oh, I'm more interested in this than the dunk thing, for example, that yes. you showed before. Yeah. Honestly, there are so many great highlights there. Seeing these fast bowlers generating so much pace when they're literally just sitting on the crease, creating all of that from that arm action. And as I say, like these batters are incredibly skillful because they don't have the ability to move around the There's crease. No footwork, that's, that's for sure. The way yeah. an able-bodied batter does. And that's what I think really blew my mind was just how much power they generated. There was a one in particular I can remember where a bloke's played this lofted shot down towards, I think it was long on, and a bloke's thrown himself forward out of the wheelchair, saved four. Nice. It's just like, it's so impressive, really. And I would, as I say, highly recommend everyone, yeah, spend a couple of minutes, just type in Indian wheelchair cricket, watch a couple of highlights. It's really, really great fun. Nice quick give back. <laughs> yes. So I've been sitting on this one for a while and I didn't really know when to bring it up. But when you were telling me about the wheelchair cricket, this was seemed like the perfect opportunity. And then I found another one this week as well. So Adam Hills, are you familiar with him? The one that gets uh, often mistaken for Will Anderson. He used to host Spicks and Specs. Yes. And there was, uh, what was it called? The Last Leg, I think, because he himself is disabled. He is indeed. He's he's, uh, he's one-legged, as, he as you alluded to. Yeah, so he's he's a very uh, successful comedian and TV personality, but he started the Physical Disability Rugby League in Cheshire five years ago, Warrington, Cheshire specifically. And I quote, I don't know how I became Mr. Rugby League. I've put my comedy career on hold. I turn down massive gigs because it's on training nights. Everyone around me can see how obsessed I am by it. When PDRL began, the dream was to see it at the World Cup because that would take the sport to a new level. It's kind of hilarious that this all started with a few blokes in Warrington running around and playing rugby league. And this is how these things start, isn't it? Yep. Power of people. So that's a great story. Uh, sad to not see him on telly as much, but he's doing great things for disabled sport. And you have to imagine that there'd be similar stories for pretty much every type of Paralympic sport. You think about... You know, the wheelchair rugby, you think about the wheelchair basketball, you think about all of these sports that, we, that we've that we been obviously fortunate enough to watch over the years, you know, seeing these people putting their own spin on a particular sport that we might be passionate about, and pardon the pun with spin, because a lot of them are spinning the wheelchair <laughs> as, they, as they go. But honestly, like I, I found that during the Paralympics, I mean, obviously I'm a big basketball fan, the, the wheelchair basketball I love, I got so massively, massively into the wheelchair rugby. Well, the same thing, Murderball, of course, that documentary. I don't know if you've seen that. No. That's quite interesting. It's worth checking out. Okay. The, the one that comes to mind for me is Dylan Orcott playing on centre court at Wimbledon the same year that Ash Barty won. Now, unfortunately, he didn't win. It's one of the rare occasions he didn't. But I really enjoyed watching that, yeah. But also, as we spoke about when that happened, the unofficial passing of the torch yes. to that next generation that he's inspired as well. It, yep. it was great to see. All of the different categories of disability within the swimming as well you know you see all of these different yes different categories of of, uh, of of disability guys guys and girls just going out there giving it their all and just doing their absolute best it, it's honestly it's great it's what sport's all about it really is and now here's another great story so did you see it's the 30th anniversary of jim abbott's no hitter have you seen that one no but i feel like is he the guy with one arm Kind of. Or one, so he, or one hand. One hand. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah. he's got a full arm and then he's got a stump. I did it this week in sport about this guy. I'm Wouldn't sure surprise me. Wouldn't where, surprise where me. He was in a league where he didn't have to bat. Uh, no, he was in the major league. Ah. Oh, right. And I actually saw a photo of him bunting. So he, I've seen him go out to bat. Well, I've seen a photo of him going out to bat. Right. So he played 10 seasons in major league baseball. To put things in perspective, the Yankees have had a pitcher throw a no hitter in only 13 of over 18,000 games in their entire history. And this was the first time that someone had done it for the New York franchise in over a decade. What makes it even more impressive is that when he pitched against the same Cleveland Indians team the previous week, he'd given up seven runs in 10 hits before the end of the fourth innings and had been dragged. So he proceeded to throw a no-hitter with only one hand. It's Speaking of telling people to go and watch footage, the way he balances his glove, 
It's quite phenomenal. It's yeah. really impressive. And there was a great story. In, I can't remember who wrote it. I, I didn't take his name down. I should have, but it was CNN. And it gave all these examples of all these young kids that he's inspired over the years. There's that great basketballer with one arm who does yeah. incredible things. Plays college. They cite him in the article. So, so he's really inspired and he's actually mentored a number of people. So it's not just people that have seen him play, mm-hmm. but he's actually met them and given them stories and inspiration. So that's just a fantastic story as well. Yeah, it might not have been that guy, but I remember doing a This Week in Sport a while back about a guy who pitched for a long time because you've got the, the two different leagues in the majors and there's one league where you don't have to have these. That's true, the designated hitter. Designated yeah, hitter. yeah. And, and yeah. I feel like this pitcher avoided it. And then his last year, he was traded to the other league and he had to hit. Right. And it was like, well, this is kind of, this is hard. Yeah, <laughs> I think I read that he played for three, maybe four teams in his 10 seasons. Sure. So he did go around a little bit. And the Yankees were in his most successful stop, but that was his most successful game by far. So that was quite, quite impressive. There you go. Now, I'm hungry for more sport, Nath. Oh, I love it, Stewie. This, love this it. isn't even a fucking sport. Let's, you know what's coming. It's not a sport. <laughs> we do talk about competitive eating every now and then, and we do like to talk about the weird, wacky, and wonderful sports at the top some weeks. So congratulations to James Webb for winning the Wicked On US Chicken Wing Eating Championship. Not only did he beat out famous competitive eaters Mickey Sudo and Joey Chestnut, he broke the world record for devouring, and that really is the only word to describe this, 276 wings in 12 minutes and to save you doing the maths that's one every 2.6 seconds i would still recommend double checking that because this is nathan's maths well this was from an article on news.com.au so it's news.com.au's maths still double check it yeah (laughs) i've got i've got a quote here if you told me this yesterday i would have laughed in your face i'm so shocked right now i'm from australia man i just make it up as i go along i was just trying to clean the bones as best i could i know that i'm not as fast as chestnut and pseudo but if they weigh leftovers and there's less chicken i have a chance i guess my style works for the record chestnut finished in second place with 240 and two-time winner pseudo third with 231 wings pathetic (laughs) so chestnut's a competitive eater but nathan's hot dog competition is his his main one so he's kind of admitted himself that the wings aren't his forte but he's still bloody good and when is your hot dog festival this year Nath? uh it's this year Simpsons reference of sorts. Well played. So basketball this week, Stewie. I'll start with a, I guess, notice of sorts. Keep an eye out for our 1993 redraft episode with some very special guests. Funnily enough, on their most recent episode, well, as far as at time of recording, because I know they recorded tonight too, because we've already spoken with them during the Latvia-Germany game. Jeez, you're you're really not hiding who it is very well. No, well, it's not meant to be a uh, any sort of mystery. <laughs> uh, but funnily enough, they did a packet of 93 upper deck cards on their latest episode. So it'll be great to have Woody and Robbie on from Throwback Hoops to talk with us. We'll be recording with them this weekend. Keep an eye out for it. Probably in about a month's time, we'll release it around the time we're actually in Sydney physically with them. Looking forward to it. Yes, indeed. Now, also at the top here, we've got to send our thoughts, and if I was a religious man, prayers, to Corey Homicide Williams, who unfortunately has been diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer. They mentioned that, I think it was in the Slovenia match. Uh, Very sad news, and, and, well, it's not great. It's not a great outlook. We just hope that his remaining time is as good as it possibly can be, and he gets to see all the loved ones and, and do some of the things that he wants to do. Look, there's always a chance. There's or You've just got to hold on to the hope that there is always a chance. And, you know, we're in one of the best countries in the world as far as medical yeah, stuff yep. goes. He's from one of the other countries that has probably one of the best medical... Well, if you if you have money. Yeah, if you've got... Which he does. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. No, look, it's, uh, it's one of those things, obviously, yeah, thoughts. We've, you know, as Perth fans, we've obviously had run-ins with homicide well i've done a complete one i used to hate him and now i absolutely love him so yeah we despised him as a player because he just he trolled us well as a commentator as well a little bit but yeah yeah yeah. but no honestly like you you wouldn't wish this on your worst enemy absolutely not we uh yeah we yeah thoughts and prayers hopefully uh there is that chance yes indeed no good good point so since we last recorded unfortunately the boomers have stumbled to our worst finish at a major basketball tournament since 2014 We've got to talk about now, I'll, I'll admit, I didn't see the Georgia game because we're out at the uh, Derby for the AFLW opening round. By the way, get your door sorted out. I was waiting in line for nearly an entire half of footy, which is absolutely ridiculous. Did you, did you miss two goals? 
Well, well, not a heap of goals, but we were there half an hour before I'm, bounce. I'm sorry, no, I, I sat through the fourth quarter of that. And no, well, yeah, not no. a single scoring shot. It, no, God, I just I wanted to. Hey, be... Not a not a scoring shot in the last at no, all. Not a single one. Turned oh, wow. on, turned on. It was 27-19 at three quarter time. It finished 27-19. Really? Yep. Wow. Okay, the ones I'm thinking of must have occurred in the third quarter. Yeah. No. Yeah, like. Getting there half an hour before bounce should be enough to not oh. have to wait in line for nearly a fucking half. Absolutely. So that's that's pretty shit. Yeah. But anyway, I did miss that Georgia game. I don't know if you saw that one. So I've got no thoughts or comments on that one. But the Slovenia game, I mean, we had a red hot chance, didn't we? With Luca getting four fouls pretty early in the match. Gutsy call by their coach to keep him in. I think it was the right call. And I think he did the right thing. He put the pressure on the refs. And I do love that the FIBA refs don't give a fuck and they'll, they'll mm. tee people up. And there was a flop tech on Schroeder today in the fourth quarter, no less, if I'm not mistaken. So I love that they're prepared to do that. But really, we had a golden opportunity, albeit even without Landale, and we kind of blew it a little bit. But Slovenia are a fucking good team. They are. 66-62 in the fourth quarter at one stage. Very, very good chance to run over the top. But yeah, this is, I think, the big thing. I, I think people are starting to slowly catch on to this. Yes, the Aussie team had, for the most part, accelerated their growth and become a much better team. But so did so many other teams. That, I said it last week. Yeah. The rising tide has lifted all boats, not yes. just the Aussie boat. Yeah. That was that was absolutely the, the best quote, actually, funnily enough. They are an incredible side. Look, even without Luca, they're still a very good side. So, it, it, look, it's not... Toby killed us. To, absolutely. But, they're look, Slovenia as a team... And, and this is what we we found is that all of these European sides, they're fearless yep. because they grow up playing in these hostile arenas. I mean, you talk about Jokic, you know, he, he sort of had that question asked, oh, what was it like playing in front of a, a screaming 20,000 people? And he's like, I'm from Serbia. Yeah, exactly. Like I played in Serbia. Yeah, like, yeah, where they peg batteries at, yeah. at you. And Alex Loughton on a fairly recent episode told some stories about playing in Europe, which were pretty funny. Yeah, it gets it gets crazy. So these players are used to playing in incredibly hostile arenas. They're not overawed by the situation or you know the the occasion in any way. So yeah, we shouldn't be surprised that these teams are ready to go. Yep, no, I agree. I agree. And as you say, a lot of them play together from a young age. They're playing juniors together, and they care about the fundamentals. They care about the shit that matters. Yep. So I dare say this maybe comes as less as a surprise to you or me than to other people. We do have this tendency where like you know, mini USA, we expect to win everything we go out and play. I feel like we kind of had realistic expectations. Yeah. I didn't expect, the minute Landau went down and you can go back and listen to our recordings, it's nothing new when I say this. I, I would have been surprised had we replicated our performance at the Olympics and kind of felt like maybe this was, obviously you're out there to win it, but maybe the minute Landau went down, this was kind of a oh, even, bracing the cogs yeah. for the next Olympics in Paris. Even then, I feel like us sort of saying that fourth felt like the the ceiling. Yeah. Yep. E even that probably now looks a, like it was a, a much too high ceiling. But yeah, I mean, you don't know what to expect from some of these teams. We spoke about the injuries that Germany had. You know, a couple of guys that were, were out that were very key. I mean, missing Wagner for the game. France, yeah. Kleber not playing in the tournament at all. So there's a lot of those guys. Jokic not playing for Serbia. Yep. Um, Giannis. Porzingis. I mean, Latvia Porzingis. nearly beat Germany today without Porzingis. Yep. Wow. I mean, get Zagar's an NBA. Uh, the Spurs. Sign him. Yep. He should be in the NBA, I reckon. That's it. He's got ice in his veins. He kept them in the game down the stretch. He was magnificent. Yeah. So, like, maybe we gave ourselves a slightly better chance because of the number of big-name players that weren't playing. But again... The rest of these nations are all still playing sports and developing and, and these leagues are still very, very difficult leagues to play in. So, yeah, we shouldn't be surprised that the, that the Aussies have finished, what, ninth? Uh, tenth, I tenth. think. I think it was tenth. Yeah, yeah. Now, we've luckily, we've qualified through, so that's good. But, hey, anyone can win at any time. We saw Lithuania beat the US. I really enjoyed, I only saw the second half oh, of that, but that amazing. was magnificent. Yeah, the first they're half, fans. The first half was even better though. Oh yeah, I know, they got out to yeah. that massive lead. Yeah. And the in first nine threes, it was just incredible. And in 40 minute games, if you get out to an early lead, it's much harder to peg back than in 48 minute games. So, so that's the blueprint to winning. But just, yeah, quickly going back to the boomers. I mean, there's a number of factors you can look at. I can see one of the stats you've got on here about Patty Mills. Yeah, he was our leading rebounder with 5.2, I heard on the podium pod today. Yeah, I'd have to double check that. It seems like Xavier Cooks would have had more than that, surely. But either way... I don't know. Maybe he had a game where he got one or something. Possibly. Yeah. yeah. If, look, if that is true, obviously that's a, a real damning stat. 
the rebounding was a, a real battle throughout the entire tournament because other teams were bigger than us. Defense and rebounding wins games. Yep. Yeah. That's it. It just it did. It felt like the defensive schemes, you know, switching pick and rolls against Germany, like we spoke about. Yeah, the double teaming Luca. I mean, you, you kind of had to pick your poison, but oh, it was the soft doubles. So this is this is what. So a lot of people are calling for Gorgon's head. I think that's a bit rough, and maybe we'll we'll get there a, a little bit more in a second. But one thing that I think is partly on the coach, I feel like we we had less. I don't know if focus is the right word, but it was the one percenters. Like normally Australia, we, because we've lacked athleticism and that's got better over the years, but because we've lacked athleticism, sometimes we've lacked height, we've, sometimes we've lacked experience. And I guess I'm thinking more about those boomers teams of the 90s and such. But we've had that we've made up for it with defensive intensity and one percenters and playing the right way and ball movement. It's no secret that ball movement at the offensive end is, is the way to beat the Yanks. I actually thought in this tournament, we were just a little bit off the boil a little bit. Like some flat cross-court passes that were mm. getting picked off. I mean, in that Slovenia game, for example, I remember Matisse throwing one when the game was still in the balance and we were actually had a little bit of momentum. Throwing a flat cross-court pass that was picked off easy. The other thing that was really pissing me off was the soft doubles. Either do it or don't. But don't do it half-assed. Because if you do it half-assed, you're just leading to open threes. And they were passing the ball. I mean... You got to do it with conviction, and you got to, you got to. If you're gonna double Luca, you got to make that decision, and you got to do it straight away, and you got to do it quickly. And I thought our doubles were weak as piss, so maybe some of that's on the coaching, but I, they've really got to tighten that up. Their focus heading into the Olympics. Well, I think there's probably as good, like there's a, a few more things to talk about in terms of, I guess, what's going on the the cup. But I think that's probably a pretty decent segue into the 2024 Olympic talk. We kind of do want to talk a little bit trevor gleason has released his 2024 olympic roster uh was met with a bit of disgust uh by one julian o'brien oh i forgot to i forgot to read that back and forth in the end yeah yeah it wasn't uh it wasn't particularly nice it was a little bit childish at times but wouldn't expect anything less from him i'll run you through the names he's got on here and i'd like to get i guess your thoughts any players that you would leave out any players you bring back in so Xavier Cooks, Bryce Cotton, Dyson Daniels, Dante Exum, Josh Giddy, Chris Golding, Josh Green, Joe Ingles, Nick Kay, Jock Landale, Paddy Mills, and Ben Simmons. So obviously the three new ones from this current roster would be Cotton, Landale, and Simmons. And that would be Thiable, uh, Jack White, and who else would have been the missing one from this squad? Hmm, just trying to think. Oh, and of course, do it. Reef. That, that's, that's a bit of a surprise, i got to say. Mm. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, obviously the punching bags are Joe Ingles and Nick Kay. I don't know if both of them survive. The other one is Dyson Daniels. Now, he's very young. We all know how impressed Brad Rosen was with Tyrese Proctor when we interviewed him in episode 108. He would be one that could possibly come in for Daniels. But again, he's incredibly young too. Delhi, does Delhi potentially come back but I, I mean we're lacking scoring punch so i can understand why he would especially given he coached him why he would have cotton there obviously you can only have one player born in another country naturalized so that's why we couldn't have both thibault and cotton he moved here at a very young age whereas cotton came here at a later age obviously and has played in our domestic competition for seven or eight seasons i think it is i don't know i, I mean i think i would have wreath in the team yeah I think I like Cotton because of the scoring punch, but he's got to get the citizenship first, obviously. I think if you play Ingles, you probably play him in that veteran role without getting much court time. I wouldn't have him on the side. Yeah, he's on the cusp, I think. I wouldn't have Ingles or Kay. I think Duop Reef makes more sense. Yeah. Okay, obviously we know that Nick Kay can shoot the ball well if he's wide open. He rebounds as well. But he doesn't have the lateral quickness. No. Reef has the athleticism over him as well. We saw that massive dunk over Rudy Gobert in the warm-ups. Plus, he's a bit taller. A little bit taller, which yeah. does help as well. As I say, Ingles, I just can't see any reason to keep him in. He's not shooting the ball well. He's got no confidence at the moment. He has literally no quickness at all. I could get round him, yeah, which is not a good sign. No. So I just I think those two absolutely would have to go. Who you bring in for Ingles... I mean, obviously, because you can't bring Thibel in, that would obviously make it a bit tricky. The only issue I have with Cotton is obviously the size is an issue. Yes. 
at that level, he will be found out. Oh, but he, I don't think he'd be playing more than 12 minutes a game. Though. He'd be the scoring punch rock. I mean, we lack scoring. The thing is, though, where do you get it from? Maybe Vasiljevic, but eh, I don't know. I mean, this is nearly the best team we have to offer. But you've got it. Chris Golding. And he sat on the bench. Yeah, well, that was, that was yeah. For the entire tournament. And that's, yeah. that's kind of where I guess some of the Gorgian slander made a bit of sense to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. There were times when I looked at it and I was like, why are you persisting with Joe Ingles? Why are you not throwing Golding out there for two or three minutes? Yeah. If yeah. he gets hot, he could easily rattle off two or three threes in the space of a few plays. Yeah. It didn't make any sense to me at all. If, if you're going to take Golding across, why not give him some minutes? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I would have liked to have seen him in that match that that kind of was our undoing in the end because he might have helped keep us in it. But I think the two biggest what-ifs, I mean, obviously, if Landale's healthy, he gives us a world-class centre, someone of a real quality laterally moves probably a lot better than a lot of the centers out there. Well, you could almost argue he'd be our best player. Him and Paddy are our best players. Probably would be. So, so yes, we've talked about a lot of teams missing, and there are a lot of teams missing very good players. I talked about Latvia and Kristaps, for example. So we can't just kind of sit behind that. It's not like we're the only team that's... No, not at all. But but that is a massive out. He is a massive out. Yeah. 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 But the other one, obviously, is Ben Simmons. The Probably the biggest what-if in the world of basketball right now. Yeah, this is a guy who's a former All-NBA caliber, All-Star level player. Defensive beast. Defensive, almost unicorn, but not quite. Athletic juggernaut. I mean, even if you're getting him at 25%, I would still have him on the team. Yeah. To be honest with you. I mean, it's hard to argue against that. His ability to rebound, push the ball off a rebound, to pass, to play defense, it's all very useful skills. Yeah, he just honestly, and I heard somebody say this during the week, he just needs to do his job and show up and play basketball. That's it. And once he gets back into a little bit of a groove, there's not going to be as much pressure as well because obviously Kevin Durant's gone, James Harden's gone. The expectations are low. Kyrie Irving's gone. Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah, who, by the way, came out and said he wanted to play for Australia at one. Like, what bullshit, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Fuck no, off, Kyrie. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's the biggest one. Obviously, he solves a lot of the problems that we have if he's playing even close to the level that he's capable of. It does. Obviously, it doesn't help the shooting, but it helps the playmaking. It helps the defense. He it, brings a lot to the table. He he was never a scorer anyway, even at his at his peak. Yeah. So you'd still would have had him on the team. So yeah, I think I think he can offer a lot. But he's a guy who can defend one through four. He's a guy. Obviously, if you've got Giddy running the point, he can be in that dunker spot and finish over guys that are bigger than him because he's got that athleticism. You can play him at most positions. Okay, yeah. he's not a shooter. But you could play him as as a small ball five. You can play him as a playmaking four, or you can play him as a point guard. Yep. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Look, as I say, I don't agree with the whole of the Boomer squad that Trevor Gleason's put together. But at the same time, this is a guy who's been around basketball his entire life. He's coached at the highest level. And given guys like Kay and Cotton helped him win a number of championships, you could yeah. see why he would have them on his team. It uh, can be forgiven. Absolutely. I mean, I would have Cotton. Ahead of Kay, I think. I, I mean, I love Nick Kay, but he might be an odd man. Him and Ingles are probably the obvious odd men out. Dante Exum's a bit like Paddy when he puts on that Australia jersey. He plays really well. Look, we've got a decent mix. If we can stay healthy, if we can tighten up those one percenters, I think we are a medal shot at the Olympics. But I think we probably do need Ben Simmons to be a medal shot. I think so. Yeah. What else you got for the World Cup? Well, I saw that we both had uh, a note that Serbian big man, Barisa Simonic, had surgery to remove a kidney after copping an elbow in a game, which yeah. isn't very good. I can't remember the player. One of the South Sudanese players gave him very late in the game as well. You always hate those those late game injuries when a game is already decided. Yeah. It's just nothing worse than that. But yeah, to be losing a kidney, that is, that's really unlucky. And thanks for giving me the perfect segue. So like we needed a reminder of the power of sport. Faber quoted Royal Ivy, the coach of South Sudan, when we play basketball, everything ceases, violence stops. And you just got to love how these big tournaments kind of capture the hearts of people. Now, it was interesting to hear the uh, NBL Pocket Podcast guys, Joe and Andrew, talking about ratings and all that sort of thing. I wonder if after the Matildas, the people, the casual sport fan are maybe a bit sported out, so to speak. Mm. It was concerning. I heard Andrew say that not only did the Boomers have the worst defensive rating in our group, only Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic allowed more points defensively. That's something that we kind of pride ourselves on. 
is Puerto Rico. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. All right, Rico. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm kidding, man. I'm just playing with you. So, yeah, so I watched that Germany-Latvia game. I look forward to watching Canada and Slovenia. I might avoid the result, I think, because you just looked at the score before. It's close. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's also so, like the second quarter as well, so yeah, it's okay. plenty of time to play. Do you have anything else on the FIBA World Cup? I just have some quick hits otherwise in the basketball world. Obviously, we'll kind of ramp up our basketball in the coming weeks because the NBL is less than a month away, yeah. which is kind of crazy. The Wildcats play J-League Ignite tomorrow. I actually watched a little bit of a pre-exhibition press conference with uh, Hiram Harris and Bryce Cotton today. And I did hear something that caught my ear, actually, Bryce Cotton saying, oh, this is kind of our, our first game against real competition. It's a bit of a kick in the teeth to the all-star team that was put together by oh, the NBL one. NBL one well, I mean, it is. A, they won those games comfortably. You can understand. Like yeah, that. I don't think he meant that as a backhanded compliment. A little bit of a stab. Well, semi-pro versus pro, you know. Stab. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, that Ignite team has four very good prospects. And, mm. and obviously the Wildcats have Saar. And yeah, there'll be a lot of scouts at those games. Yeah, because yeah, there'll be a couple of them. Do you have anything else? No, I mean, look, the one thing I will say is that this has been probably the busiest I've ever been in any job I've ever had. Right. So, and unfortunately, it's like the busiest part of the year for that job as well. So just finding time to sit down and watch two hours of basketball has been a lot trickier than usual. So, well, that's life, isn't it? It, it yeah. is. It is. Yeah. And we... I, Well, I mean, look, the good thing is, I guess, I may get a chance to watch some of it. If, when's the final? I think it's Sunday. Ah, oh, fucking hell. Of course, I was like, I'm flying out to Brisbane on Monday. If it's on during next week, I'll watch that then. Yeah, but, right. Nope. Yeah. Oh, look, it might be a reasonable time on Sunday night. Yeah, true. Yeah, depending on what time you fly. 5.40 a.m. Oh, God. Yep. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. I've got some quick hits. Uh, Brianna Stewart's past Diana Taurasi as the all-time leading scorer in a season. And this is on the back of Asia Wilson tying the single game record with 53 points a couple of weeks ago. And Alyssa Thomas having the first 25-10-10-10 five game in WNBA history with 27 points, 12 boards, 14 assists and six steals on 11 of 14 from the field. I think there was one too many 10s in there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, hang on, did she nearly have like a... Friggin' five two bubble or whatever. <laughs> yeah. A very impressive performance nonetheless, and a number of them have been going on in the WA recently. The other thing is that I saw the Lakers sign Christian Wood. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's a, that's a very, very canny signing. I think for him, I mean, he's coming off, I guess, a couple of seasons where he maybe feels like his value has dropped a little bit. I mean, you remember a couple of seasons back with, oh, yeah. with Houston. He was like, holy shit, like this guy ready to take over the league. Oh, people were talking max at like one point or another. Yeah. AD and Christian Wood. Yes. Four or five. Yes. That's. that's oh, I think um, I think we've mentioned this before, but I think the Lakers would would absolutely fancy themselves maybe as the third or fourth best team in the West. I mean, they'll probably think they're the best. Yeah, I mean, mind you, we, we've said this for most of the last five years, and they haven't been more than once, basically. So. Oh uh, well, they uh, well. I feel like they played Denver better than any other team. Obviously, they got swept. I've mentioned that before. Yeah, but they played them well. Yeah, the, but, the closest sweep in NBA history as far as the margins were concerned. But this is also a Lakers team that got through the play-in. True. Yeah, yeah, true. So, true. so you know, maybe, look, it, it is what it is. I, I think that definitely is a good signing, though. And Austin Reeves is a year older. He had that massive tip dunk against Italy the other day as well. So, yeah, I, I think the Lakers will feel pretty good about their chances. Hmm. So, Nathan, we'll move back to the cricket. There's a little bit going on. Yes. Three T20s between Australia and South Africa, a clean sweep for the Aussies. And as you mentioned, the uh, T20 will be, in theory, I believe in inverted commas, it's all but confirmed. It's on the cards. We'll know on Friday. Yeah. That, that it will be in the 2028 Los Angeles Summer Olympic Games, which is very exciting. I've got, as I said, an incredible... Oh. bit of history for anyone who likes their cricket it's... it's crazy to think that the yankees are the ones bringing cricket in but if i'm not mistaken the first ever cricket match played internationally was between the usa and canada it was so there you go yeah yeah I was, i've spoken about that one before as well I was uh, like, guys just not turning up for some of the days. yeah that's probably another this week in sport we don't do them very much these days but uh yeah yeah, yeah. So you had a chance to watch a decent amount of the T20s between Australia and South Africa. What did you make of the series? Yeah, oh, well, when you say decent amount, I watched a decent amount of the second game. I didn't see any of the other two, uh, but Mitch Marsh looked magnificent once again. I saw the end of our bowling innings, and then I saw us win it with the bat. 
I think he's primed for a big World Cup, and I'm very excited about that. Mm. Yeah, I, I really love Nathan Ellis. I think he's a really handy bowler. Now, the Australian World Cup squad was named today. Unfortunately, he didn't make that. But I'll tell you who did, who's in those South African games. Sean Abbott. And I can't remember who it was, but he's the youngest Australian to ever make the World Cup because he's less than eight. Oh, is he a February 29th? He's a 29th February, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you talk. I'll see if I can find that tweet because I, I want to give them credit. Yeah, it's an interesting side. So Pat Cummins is the captain, obviously. Steve Smith, Alex Carey, Josh Inglis, Sean Abbott, Ashton Agar, Cam Green, Josh Hazelwood, Travis Head, Mitch Marsh, Glenn Maxwell, Marcus Stoinis, David Warner, Adam Zampa, and Mitchell Stark. So a lot of the incumbents making the side, there are... Again, a lot of guys that if they're on big hitters, you know, the, the Stoinises, the Maxwells, the Mitch Marshes, Travis Head, there's a lot of guys that can accumulate runs very, very quickly. A couple that can kind of turn the strike over a little bit. It's it's a good balance side for me. Is Short a bit stiff to miss out? And is Agar a bit lucky? I mean, obviously they're playing in India, they're playing on turning pitches and, and Agar can keep the runs down. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of what you've got to hope is that if Agar can get through his 10, maybe pick up like two for 45, you'd kind of be okay with that. Uh, as, you know, in the Indian sort of fields and the Indian pitches, you can score quite heavily on them. So, yeah, if he can be going at around four and a half to five and over, I think you'd probably live with that in this day and age. Yeah, look, decent World Cup squad, and I think we'll give ourselves a shot. And if if guys like Mitch Marsh continue that great career form, then... We can get very excited. I found this tweet, Sean Abbott, born February 29th, 1992, becomes the first Australian player to be picked for a World Cup before his eighth birthday <laughs> at Daniel Cherney. He's always got some good stuff going he, on, he, so he good does. on him. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, I guess there's a few guys, a lot of question marks around David Warner, but I feel like you kind of have to pick him. Yeah, there was talks of him coming in at four and them opening the batting with Head and Marsh, who I'm not actually opposed no, to. I, I don't mind that. I don't actually mind a bit of a floating order, depending on situation. Yep. Yeah, yeah, well, I think that's what you kind of have to do in yeah. these tournaments. I mean, you know, we've been to a, a handful of them now. Well, not a handful, a very, a, a two-finger missing handful we've been well, to. Well, yeah, we went to three in a row, which is pretty pretty decent, yeah. given all the, the flights and, and frequent fly miles we, we clocked up. But I, I definitely agree with that in terms of, yeah, if the runs are flowing and you're, I don't know, three for 360-odd with five overs to go, you keep going with the big hitters. If you're three for 39 in the eighth over or ninth over you might want to bring in someone who can kind of rotate the strike that's right so if for example it is martian head and they set a really good platform maybe you bring in davy warner at first drop if you lose an early wicket with those two maybe you bring in steve smith at first drop yeah i think there's some versatility hopefully cam green will do well he's done okay in those conditions great to see josh inglis get a nod as well so yeah decent mix of a pretty experienced team actually so i i think we'll we'll give ourselves a red hot shot I don't think we'll be favourites, but uh, we'll be we'll, we'll be competitive. Well, that was a pretty decent deviation from what we were talking about, <laughs> the, the T20s. Look, just quickly going back to them, because uh, obviously, look, it's exciting to look ahead to the World Cup, which is very, very soon. Yeah, this is kind of a primer for that in some ways. Yeah. I, I think what I found very interesting for this was just the the sheer amount of turnover that the South African side has had. Yes. And look, it's easy to say that the Aussie side had a lot of new faces as well, but there were a number of players I'd never heard of. Tristan Stubbs, Lazard Williams, Bjorn Fortune. Fortune did not favour the brave on Fortune. I'm trying to think of some sort of, you know, unfortunate, all of those sorts of things. But but uh, yeah, Deval Brebus as well. So I think the big thing that we've seen is that if you look at the guys that have kind of left the side, it's all those really big hitters, the Quinton de Cox, A.B. de Villiers, David Miller. Yeah, well, de Cox only announced it in the last few days, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, you know, go back a couple of years, Faf Duplessis as well. You know, those guys that would consistently pick up big runs. Hashim Amla, all those sort of guys. Yeah, yeah, like this is a really revamped top order. They've still got Aiden Markram. They've still got Bavuma. I think he underperformed heavily with the bat in that series and in the field as well. He drops at least one catch I know of. Well, we know that Bavuma, what was it? He missed some sort of major, I'm trying to remember. Was it the IPL or something? Or remember he was, oh, anyway, it doesn't matter. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> what do you all know what I mean? I've got no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. He missed the bar at one of the roller coasters because he was too, too short. short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's not fair. That's not very fair at all. But yeah, I just I don't know. It felt like throughout the series they were 
they they kind of didn't look like that middle order was really going to I guess just take off. You know, they struggled to make 115 in the the first match. And if you look at the bowling lineup, Stoinis, Spencer Johnson, Sean Abbott, Nathan Ellis, Sanger, and Aaron Hardy. Not exactly, you know, a world beating sort of attack, but they struggled to make 115. Yeah, that's a pretty poor screen. It's poor. You know, 164 and 190 in the second and third were better, but they're tiny grounds in South Africa. So Mm. Really, 200 is par in a lot of those places. So Yeah, I wonder what's going on there. Because, you know, some teams or some nations are good no matter what. And doesn't matter who the players mm. are. I mean, Australia, and uh, I don't think that's unreasonable of me to say. India, you could argue as well, for example. Whereas the kind of regeneration and, and some teams will be up, but then they'll kind of be more like a roller coaster. And I guess we see that in the world cup in the basketball as well. So yeah, maybe, I mean, look, I don't know much about these guys either. And I don't I can't tell you anything about domestic cricket in South Africa, but maybe there's a bit of pain ahead for them for the mm. next little while yeah. as they regenerate. But obviously, yeah, as you say on the flip side, and it wasn't just Mitch Marsh that did all the damage. It was good to see different players stepping up in each of the games. Marsh and David in the first, uh, Matthew Short and Marsh in the second. Travis Head was big in the third. Would have probably made a ton had he had maybe a couple more overs. And then Josh Inglis and Marcus Stoinis had that 40 and 30 plus score. So, yeah, good to see a, a nice mix of players with the bat, you know, with the ball as well. We saw Sanger have a four wicket in the, the first game. Abbott, as you say, you know, stepped up with a four and a three in the second and third. So. Weird seeing him with hair again. Yeah, a little bit. I'm used to him having a shaved head. A little bit. So yeah. Very, very nice. All right. You got this story, hey? Go on. Fire I, away. I do. Okay. So I, I've got this question for you, Nate. Do you know when the last time that cricket was an Olympic sport? Uh, I do, actually. 1900, Paris. In Paris. Yep. This was a two. Now, hold on. 1900 would have been Athens. So maybe no, is that 1904? No. It is no 1896. 1896. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was right. I should have backed myself. So I've got a number of things about this match that were very unusual. And I just, as I read this on Wikipedia and a couple of articles, it was like, it just it blew me away. Now, when you say this match, do you mean the gold medal match? Well, there was only one match. Oh, okay. So it was an exhibition. Originally, this was meant to be a four-team knockout. So there was a team, Devon and Somerset Wanderers from England. <laughs> okay. It's, you know, it's Mickey Mouse already. Yeah, okay. But this is 1900. Yeah, right? yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. You had the French Athletic Club Union, obviously from France. There was meant to be a team from Belgium and a team from the Netherlands, but they just kind of decided last minute that they didn't want to go. You know, because it's so bloody far. Yeah, it's only the Olympics. It's so far from Belgium and the Netherlands to France. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that that's pretty crazy. And the, the other thing, the French team was mostly made up of English expats. Right. So it was basically England versus England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, that, that sort of is what it is. Now, this was a two-day match. So it wasn't even like a one-dayer. It was, well, I mean, you didn't really do one-dayers back then. No, but no. It wasn't a, a proper test match either. It was this two-day sort of exhibition match, if you will. So what were the rules? I'm fascinated. Oh, the rules were absolutely, you know, the, the same as what, oh, they, what they are. But, so I was destined for a draw then. But it? It, but it was one of these games where it was like, yeah, you've got two days, go for it. Oh. So a little bit random. Okay. Now... The, the other thing that's so weird given how long an olympic meet is they could have had a normal five-day match you know what I'm, i was going to save this but i'm actually going to mention this right now because it's okay. very interesting that you mentioned this the 1900 olympics started on the 14th of may and finished on the 28th of october <laughs> they could have had a five-game series at that time. they went for five and a half months bloody hell bloody hell no no not quite um <laughs> But this, the, the reason for that, though, was that it was actually part of the 1900 World Fair or the Exposition Universal. Ah, of course. And so probably the most incredible part of all of this is that neither side even realised they'd competed in the Olympics. They had no idea. They thought that, or they were under the impression that this was an exhibition as part of the World Fair and didn't realise until after the match that they'd actually played in an Olympic game. Did they get golden... Silver, no, it would have ended in a draw, right? No, they didn't. And no, because it ended in a draw. And I'll explain that in a second. Oh, this is tantalizing. So, before we even get into the match, the other thing that was crazy about it, there were 12 players per team instead of 11. Oh, okay. They both had a chat before the game and they went, ah, let's just have, you know, because as if getting through two innings in two days is not hard enough. 
We'll just put an extra. Yeah, let's yeah, yeah, let's put an extra fielder on there. Let, let's let's make it forty-four wickets instead of forty. Still better than the hundred. Still a lot better. Screw the hundred. Now the British side came in. They made one hundred and seventeen before the French side made seventy-eight in reply, all on the first day. Okay. So they got through the first innings on the first day. Yeah, bit is, of baseball. Which is <laughs> yes, Barry Cuthbertson, probably <laughs> the, the third. On the second day, the Brits declared at five for 145 before bowling the French side out for 26. Oh, sporting declaration. With five minutes left of play. Oh, wow. Wow. So, you know, cast your mind back. Shades of Michael Clark versus, this, yes, yes, versus yeah. India. I was working in a call centre during that match and I, I'd, my, I'd finished my break and someone had come out and gone, no, if you're meant to be on the phone, so I'm like, no, I'm meant to be watching the end yeah. of this cricket match. So 2004 at the SCG, if I remember <laughs> correctly. So, you know, a, a crazy finish. They actually managed to get a result in two days, wow. which, which is nuts. But they didn't get gold medals. I'll get to that. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. no. I appreciate your enthusiasm. <laughs> so four of the French batters made king pairs. Oh, dear. Which is not great. And there was another guy who made a duck and a one. The French actually were 10 for 11 in the second innings before a, we'll call it a, a very uh, defiant knock. <laughs> so, regard action. Regard action. The 11th and 12th batters made 13 between them to almost secure a, a draw. Wow. Before Montague Tiller, took, who took seven for nine, I will say, in the second innings, took the last wicket of John Braid and the match was over. Now, incredibly, the Brits took home the silver medal and the French took home the bronze. <laughs> what the fuck? What? What? <laughs> so they took. There's never been. This is mind-blowing. So, yeah, they took home what? random medals and a miniature uh, little statue of the Eiffel Tower for winning because they didn't they didn't do proper medals back then. Right. I mean, it was only the second modern Olympics. The whole thing is but just... It's batty. It's, it is. It is. Oh, the Olympic history is fascinating. Isn't it just? Like, yeah. as I say, I, just, I kept reading through this thing and it just got crazier and crazier. So, yeah, that is, uh, that is a story. That is a story. So yes, Good the, the uh, five and a half month event where they could only allow two days for a cricket match that somehow got a result and they gave them the wrong medals. They did go back in and, and actually give them a gold and a silver retrospectively. Right. Which is still very random. Wow. But uh, yeah, wow. There you go. You got any other cricket? No, I thought that was enough. Quite no, frankly. I was going to say, well, let's finish with the bloody hell sound effect. <laughs> bloody hell. So, Stewie, AFL finals begin tomorrow. Um, can't guarantee this episode will be uploaded by the time the first match kicks off or there is a bounce down. How Spare a thought for John Noble. How's this? He's played in every game for the Pies this season and yet been dropped for the first final. Not only that, his run of 83 consecutive games is the longest streak ever to be ended through an omission for a final in VFL-AFL history. Mm, yeah, a bit rough. Him nice and, problem to have for the post. Him and Ginevan both, or Ginevan. Still don't know whether it's Ginevan or Ginevan. I know, everyone seems to. Well, he, I think he's the sub, so he will have an opportunity okay. to play in the game. Oh. But uh, yeah, Noble won't. Mm, no doubt. Do you want to change any tips or anything? Or no, I'm happy to stay right now. Yeah, I think I am too. I don't want to second guess it. I can't even remember. I, I think I had Melbourne, GWS, Carlton and Brisbane. Yeah, I think we'd had the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll stick with that. Now, the other thing, obviously, we talked Noah's Ark last week. A senior Ark official will have increased communication with goal umpires for the final series with the official to urge the goal umpire to hold up play before signalling a score should they believe the decision should be reviewed. As it stands currently, only a field umpire can delay and suggest a score review to the goal umpire rather than a member of the Ark. What well, do you reckon? Thank goodness that's not going to cost the team a final. Well, this is the thing. So... Is this the sort of rule that should have come in for a new season? Is this moving goalposts or is the finals an obvious time to correct? I mean, I'm okay with it because it's the finals. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't have done it in round 18. For example, I mean, obviously that horrible game occurred after round, but I'm just plucking numbers here. I wouldn't do it in season, but because of the natural break heading into the finals, I'm okay with it. Oh, I think it is a necessary move because as you know, we've alluded to and kind of joked about, imagine if that actually did happen in a final yeah. and a team was knocked out by a lack of reviewing. Like that would just be absolutely disastrous for Lee. It's or it's already bad enough that Adelaide missed out on the finals because of that. 
And funnily enough, I saw a Geelong fan is still griping about, I think it was a mark that wasn't paid in like the 90s. Uh, the only other stat I have before we kind of look at retirements and All-Australian, the all-time AFL club membership record has been broken, 1.26 million. So about a 20th of the entire population in our country. Not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. Speaking go. of not bad, how's this retirement class? Now, you've done the tallies, nearly 5,000 games combined. It's a spectacular squad. I mean, you it's like this is two very, very good teams. There's... Yeah, there's look, there's a number of guys that obviously have really, I guess, difficult careers for, for many reasons. You look at a Paddy McCartan who, you know, played a grand total of 63 games and probably had almost that many concussions. Yeah, and was the number one pick. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, he had a, a very, very difficult career. Someone like Andrew Phillips from Essendon, 82 games across more than a decade, I believe. It just one of these guys in and out, but he just he's so proud of what he put together. But we have, yeah, some of the absolute best. I'll, I'll quickly run through, I guess, some of the, quote, highlights, I guess. Oh, yeah, there's some who's who here. So, and I dare say after the finals, we probably do jump above the 5,000 games, don't we? Well, we will, because I'll mention that Collingwood, Fremantle, Gold Coast, Melbourne and St Kilda don't have any retirements yet. Yeah, so we can get that 68 needed to get it over 5,000 total games, There's surely. every possibility it might push close to 6,000. And you may, you may as well say the other vital statistics because you've done the maths. Yeah, well, across these, as you said, 4,932 games, 17 premierships, two Norm Smith medals, 15 All-Australians and seven Colmans. Now, look, more than half of the All-Australians were Buddy Franklin. More than half of the Coleman medals were Buddy Franklin. But Well, which is surprising that there aren't more All-Australians and maybe even aren't more Norm Smiths, but there you go. Well, there's a lot of guys that were very, very good players but weren't quite. And, and I'll, I guess I'll run through some of these. So Daniel Rich, All-Australian times one, 268 games, incredible career. But maybe he didn't live up to his potential. Maybe not Highly quite. touted when he came into the league, I remember. But still very good, very lethal left foot. Oh, great career. Most blokes had tried their career for that in a heartbeat, yes. Ed Kerno for Carlton, 204 games. That surprised me. I the, thought he could keep going. Yeah, look, some guys just know. Yeah, no, fair enough. The, the bodies, this is it. We don't know what their bodies no, are sure, telling them. Sure. So, you know, a, a quality player there. Isaac Smith, you know, he's a guy who's very unlucky not to have an All-Australian Guernsey at some stage, I, I feel like. But he does have one of those Norm Smiths. He does have one of the Norm Smiths and four premierships as well. So four of the 17. With two clubs. Yes, with two clubs. So, yeah, an incredible career for him. You've got, you know, Phil Davis for GWS, incredible backman over... Your countless years. Oh, I want an absolute legend of their club. Yeah. And and there's talk he'll go into the media and he's very well spoken. So I actually look forward to that. Yep. Yeah. North Melbourne had a really good trio. Ben Cunnington, unfortunately, his career was uh, yeah. derailed a bit late with injuries. You know, we Zach... talked about that horrible story last week as well with the, the King hit. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Jack Zebel, the uh, yeah, 279 games, real hard man. You know, one of these guys, very, very tough to break a tackle. Um, Aaron Hall, 157 games across a, a couple of teams, I think Gold Coast and uh, and North. So, you know, a, a really good trio there. Tom Jonas, 186 games with Port Adelaide. Maybe not a guy I liked particularly much, but still respected. Oh, very handy. Still respected what he did. Yeah, yeah. Richmond, obviously, a, a huge trio. Jason Castagna, 134 games, three premierships. Trent Cochin, 306 games, three premierships, one All-Australian. Uh, I think all three of those premierships were as captain. So almost certainly, yeah. Incredible yeah. player. Jack Rewalt, 347 games, three premierships, three All Australians, three Coleman medals, one of the highest goal kickers of, of all time. Yes. And I think he passed Richo on the Richmond club list uh, goal kicking this season, too. Like fairly late in the season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and Robbie Tarrant as well, 194 yes, games yep. as well. So Defender, yeah, yeah. brilliant there. Yeah, as I've sort of alluded to, Lance Franklin, 354 games, two premierships, eight All-Australians, one as captain when he wasn't even the captain of the Swans. I'm still bitter about that because it should have been... Uh... Yeah, well, there's some interesting about this year's All-Australian captain too we yes, might talk about. that is very true. And, yeah. then, and obviously the four Coleman medals. Tom Hickey, 149 games, really, really key member of you know West Coast Eagles, uh, St Kilda, Sydney. Like he, oh, he was great for us, yeah. A, a ruckman in a grand final making team, albeit a disappointing end, but yeah. yep. And then obviously Paddy McCartan, as we've mentioned. West Coast, three absolute champions of the club. Shannon Hearn, 333 games, one premiership as captain, two All-Australians, one as vice-captain as well. 
Luke Shuey, 248 games, one premiership, the other Norm Smith medal in the group. Yep. And Nick Natanui, obviously the disappointment of only getting 213 games out of his body when yeah, yep. you know, he could have gone down as one of the all-time greats. Yep. But, At his peak, one of the great Ruckman. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then rounding it out, Josh Bruce, 163 games with the Bulldogs and St. Kilda. Yeah, that surprised me a bit too, but he's probably older than I realize. So but just, you know, one of these guys that was just as likely to kick 10 goals one as he was one goal ten. So <laughs> Honestly, that if you look at that entire squad, and you look, that's also not to mention uh, Daniel Lloyd. Lloyd. So, no, some really, really great players. Paul Seedsman as well for Adelaide. You know, had, a, had a really good career with the Crows and the Pies. So, yeah, just a, a lot of really top quality players. One of probably the best retirement classes you could imagine. Really. Yeah, we'll have to. I wonder if we can run that by Swampy as far as kind of outgoing games played. But maybe we'll wait till the end of the finals when, as you say, that that, that number could jump as high as 6,000. Yeah. All Australian squads. So I believe about half the team were first timers, which kind of, I guess, also speaks to that regeneration in the league of a lot of veterans retiring. Uh, oh, look, do we need to... I don't know if we need to name every single name. It's easy enough to find out there. I was a little surprised at Toby Green being named captain. Obviously, there's no denying how good he is as a player, but he's also the karate kid. And I think you could probably have given the captain... Bonson to... Pelly. Yeah, you've got to give it to Bon. You do. I just you don't do. understand why... Yeah, you, yeah you've got a guy, guy like Bonson Pelly in the side... There's no reason at all not to. And this is, again, this goes back to what I said, why Shannon Hearn wasn't the, you know, the captain of that one that Buddy Franklin got when he's an actual fucking captain. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a reward for for having a good season. But no, I agree. I mean, I, I we could probably go back and find the old audio. Yeah. At, at the time, I agreed with you. I mean, fair enough if there's no other captain in the side. Fair enough. You give it to whoever you see is most sure, most sure. rewarding. But it's uh, unlikely just, you would have a side that didn't have at least one captain. It would be incredible. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. So I just, for me, I'm the same same as you. I think Toby Green deserves to be in the side, absolutely. But I think Bonson Pelly should be the captain. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Now, do you have any snubs? Uh, I know you hate snubs, but well, no, it's not. A, I I haven't I haven't probably done enough research. If I'm honest, I've been spending a little bit more time watching the basketball and focusing on the basketball World Cup. Um, I've said a number of times over the over the year that it is the least AFL I've watched in the whole time we've been doing the podcast, albeit still at least three games a week, so it's not nothing. But uh, yeah, I, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. you you've got some notes, but oh, look, I, I like the way Snub thinks. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's there's probably uh, there's a couple. Tom Liberatore is a big one for me. Twenty seven touches a game, one of the absolute elite in and under players at stoppages. How he doesn't get a Guernsey and... Who do you bring him in for? Uh, probably Josh Dacos would be one I'd look at. Uh, Goulden maybe was a little bit lucky to... Oh, no, 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 no. Goulden was magnificent. Liberatore is better. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Well, I'm we made the finals. I'm just, yeah, that's... Kind of. <laughs> well, that, no, 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 fair enough. Well, no, no, after an answer. Case, Tom Sicily can can jump out. There's a, there's a number of guys that were... In uh, well, and Nick, Nick, Nick Larky, I mean, no, he's brilliant, obviously, but position for position, yeah, 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 no, no, fair enough. No, I'm not saying that Gordon doesn't deserve to be in the squad, I'm just saying I personally, yeah, no, fair enough. Personally, I think Liberatore deserves a bit more, anyway. Um, Lockie Neal's another interesting one. How you can have a team like Brisbane be so good and only have one player in the all Australian squad, and even then, I'm not even I'm not sure Charlie Cameron's necessarily the right guy for for that. I think Lockie Neal's maybe the one guy I would look at, but again... Positions. Positions, are, yeah, yeah it, it is tricky. From memory, we had a similar thing last year. We made the grand final and we only had one or two All-Australians last mm. year, I think. So, yeah, it and, does happen. And the thing is, you can always make the case, and it certainly probably was the case with the Swans as well, where it's, you know, rather than being a team of champions, it's a champion team. Yes, yeah, yeah, sharing the load and everything. So you yeah. kind of look at that. Yeah. Look, I guess for me, and yes, I'll, I'll be a homer for once, Oscar Allen's the one I I look at as well. I'd say he could potentially look at making his spot in there for Charlie Cameron. I mean, he's not really a, a pocket, so that's maybe no, the, that's, no. that's the tricky part. Is but that... when you have such a, a terrible season with really limited supply, to kick nearly a goal nearly every game and to have over fifty for the season well, is f- impressive. Fifty three twenty three, so yeah, very yeah. very accurate. Yeah, yeah. For a team as shit as West Coast was. All that damage with a really struggling midfield, not really giving him a whole heap to work with. 
I, I think potentially he deserves it more than someone like Cameron who was getting that, you know, that gold class sort of delivery from that brilliant midfielder. He's man. bloody good though. And he's, he wins games off he's, his own boots. Sensational. Yeah. And this is the thing. And this is why even doing this is just, it's stupid because... Well, it's talking points, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. A, it's not going to change anything. At the end of the day, Liberatore, Neil and Alan are not all Australians and all of these other guys are. But as you said, I think the most exciting thing for me is, yeah, seeing guys like Jordan Dawson, the Dacos boys, I think they said the first brothers to make it since the Corns in... When was oh, it? yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Probably nearly 20 years ago. 2004, actually. I think it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, there you go. Nearly exactly 20 years ago. And yeah, like, you know, as you say, it's exciting for Errol Gould and, you know, Callum Wilkie. There's there's so many guys in there that, that are, yeah, just fresh and... I mean, even guys like Tim English, been around a little while, but taking that next step. Yep. Taylor Walker, the oldest player to make their All-Australian debut. Yeah, right. 33. Yep. yep. So, Thanks to two games against the Eagles. Yeah, and that's the, the thing that's kind of tricky <laughs> yeah. as well. Is <laughs> yeah, you, it is. You can it look is. at it and say that both the, the key forwards, Kerno and Walker, you know, they only get one game against the Eagles. It's uh, it's a whole different ball game. Anyway. You can only play the team in front of you. It is what it is. Nick, it is what it is. Nick Lyon. Did, by the way, did we, did we talk about Adam Simpson staying on as coach last week? I can't remember. What are your thoughts? We did. I, look, it's a, it's a tricky one. It's a really tricky one. The, the players seem to like him, which I think is the most important thing. So I, I don't really think what the general public thinks actually matters that much because, yeah, I mean, if the players... Well, like, a lot of the general public support him. Yeah, there was a, a kind of swell of support. Yeah. Look, it's one of these things. I think up until the last three weeks, it did feel like very much he was a dead man walking. Didn't really feel like he had the room, but... Again, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And we saw what happened the last three weeks. They were a lot more competitive. Players looked like they were actually playing for Simo to kind of keep him in. So, yeah. Well, they're also playing for their careers in some cases. True. Yeah. True. But, you know, even some of the guys that looked like, I mean, obviously, like guys like Tim Kelly and you know, maybe Elliot Yo is not a great example, but, you know, guys that are already in the side, you could still see them putting their bodies on the line. And it looked like they really were focused on actually trying to win. And we've been critical of Tim Kelly since he came over from Geelong, but he won their best and fairest oh, and, and had a good season for a, them after a couple of average ones. He had a, had a spectacular season, runaway winner of best and fairest. It, it was interesting looking at the speaking of uh, of Kelly. Horns, Kelly yeah, Kelly. yeah. <laughs> look, I mean, I, I get where he's coming from and I, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. When you see Noah Long in the top 10. Yeah, blokes that only played half the games. It's a, Well, Noah Long as a, as a rookie or basically his first season... And yeah, as you say, you know, guys that only played 13 games like Shannon Hearn, it is worrying. But, you know, Port Adelaide's been in that position not that long ago and look at them now. Well, and even look at the Crows. I mean, they got Rankin and Dawson and they should have made the finals if it weren't for a bad umpiring decision. So things can turn around if you recruit well. It, it helps when locals want to come home. So you just keep an eye out for those yeah. WA blokes wanting to come home, I guess. Yeah, well, there's quite a few of them that are doing bloody good things. All right, Nathan, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Ah, uh, yes, final thoughts indeed. We'll be back together again on Saturday to record a couple of episodes. We're finally recording that draft episode that we've been teasing for quite some time. Since about 93. Yes. And we'll also be doing, thanks for the segue, the 93 redraft with the throwback hoops lads. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Keep an eye out for those episodes in the coming weeks. We might get to speak while you're in Brisbane too. I don't know. Hopefully. We'll take the microphone with me, see what comes up. Yeah, so some AFL finals. We'll have the World Cup wrap-up. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about once again. Until next time, I'm Stuart. And I'm Nate. That sounded fucking weird. We're the sport blokes. <laughs>